And then he said, don't wish it was easier, wish you were better. Don't wish for less problems, wish for more skills. I can't catch a break, guys. Yeah. Get them the fuck away from me. I can't, I can't be around those guys. People think, oh well, cleaning your room, that's just a cliche. It's like, yeah, really, eh? Just go ahead and try it. If people had any idea how powerful sleep is for healing from anything, and the fact that it's free. My mind is absolutely bulletproof, solid as a rock. Podcast. All right, guys, welcome to another episode of the Fighting Fit Show. Today, I am joining you from sunny Portugal, and I am joined by Chris and Brandon. How are we doing this morning, lads? Hello, very good. I'm good. Thanks for asking. Good. He's just good, not great. Um, I had my first. I had my first workout uh, for in Fighting Fit there in a week, and I'm sore. Rough, rough. I'm just was rough session. I'm just off the back of a 48 hour fast. Ew. Well, two How was that? It was actually really good. I'm going to do it again now today at six o'clock. I'm going to take another 48 hours. So it'll be Wednesday. Are you going to do it with me, Chris? Yep. Cool. So, Chris, 48 hours together. And what, yeah. what, is your, what is your objective? What is your goal for, from doing the fasting? Obviously, a lot well, of people hear fasting, they think starvation. I don't want to kind of veer off too much off track. But um, it is a very interesting topic, and that's probably maybe what we do next week or the week after. Maybe go a little bit deeper into fasting and the and the benefits, particularly the health and longevity benefits. Obviously, if you don't eat, you're going to lose weight, and that can be what kind of gets a lot of people into it. Um, but the longevity and the health benefits of fasting are um, seem to be immense. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's why they, I'm doing. I, I get headaches from COVID. So ever since I had COVID, I'm looking for just a little bit of healing and. I do, I do feel better. Um, I don't know. I haven't really tested myself. Generally, I just do feel better. I've got more energy. I woke up easier this morning. And every time I do fast, and I always find myself thinking, I want to do this all the time because when I come away from not eating all, when I come away from eating all the time, I really do feel like I don't need food as much. And then that really just kind of highlights for me my dependence on food when I don't actually need it. And that to me is the biggest problem. Like every time I fast, I'm always thinking like. I eat too often, I eat too often. And then the only reason I go back to eating the way it is, is just kind of socially and just because it's nice to eat and snack. But generally yeah. speaking, I always find that when I'm not eating all the time, I do find that like even, even something to think about it like this, like I find, cause I really, I really like cooking a proper meal. And I find the thought of cooking a proper meal three times a day is a pain in the arse. Like it's so yeah. convenient that we have to eat one big meal a day, which is, so so suitable to me in my lifestyle because i really like to go all out for dinner but i don't want to do that two or three times a day it's better than yeah, of course. yeah and i would i would just because uh, people talk you mentioned kind of headaches after you, you had covid so it's kind of some long covid symptoms obviously the reason for doing fasting is to try and get the the benefits of autophagy autophagy essentially means i think it's derived from latin it means self-eating and basically what happens is your cell your body once you kind of haven't eat haven't eaten i think i would to give you some uh, feedback i'd say you probably want to stretch it a little bit longer. 72 hours seems to be the sweet spot. They kind of really get a, a lot of the benefits of autophagy. Um, but essentially, the cells. Say again. I I was trying to push him for I was trying to push him for a longer fast as well, and he was like, "See, this is why I don't. This is why I don't involve you two because you guys go to the extreme." The dad I've seen. Look, look up. Look up. Anyone's interested. Look up um, Dr. Walter Longo. I think he's from um, John Hopkins University. He does a lot of interesting uh, research on fasting. What's the other guy? Don Diagostino. He's another guy if you're interested in fasting to, connect, to check out. Um, but yeah, I feel like 
72 hours. Um, what's, what's the first game you said? Seems to, the sweet spot, seems to be the sweet spot before the law of diminishing returns kicks in um, for health, I think. But again, not, not an expert, but... Uh, what did the man's first name was? Uh, the first guy, uh, Dr. Walter Longo. Walter. And then the other guy is uh, Dr. Dom Diagostino. They are kind of two of the, the kind of leading voices um, in that regard. And I've also done some interesting research I read um, relating to cancer patients. And when they do intermittent fasting alongside um, chemotherapy, it supposedly drastically um, reduces the negative impact of chemotherapy. Uh, because essentially what happens is like you can essentially, pretty sure in 72 hours you can, I don't want to overstate this, but it's like something like you can like essentially rebuild your entire immune system. Like you like you basically create a whole new host of white blood cells um, and that massively helps with, um, with your immune system, obviously. So again, something to something to look into. Again, I would like to kind of have my my thoughts in order and kind of have some some notes and sources if you are going to go a little bit deeper into this topic. Because again, like most things that are interesting, it can be quite controversial. Um, and again, not something I recommend for anybody who has any um, a negative relation with food and like that because it can just result in you know it's a very easy path to kind of restrict and binge obviously um but have for health overall health benefits like you know there's nothing wrong I, like there's no there's, there's, I, there's very very few people that would not eat for a couple of days and would not be healthier and that's like so counterintuitive like you know like again again the whole country the whole country couldn't eat for three days apart from like the people at the, the either end of the spectrum you know that maybe uh, aren't that healthy to begin with People would come out of it healthier, and that's well established, well researched. What do you think about all of those? Like, there's a, there's a, what's the word I'm looking for? There's like a, an idea, or a, I can't, I can't think of the phrase for it. But basically, there's an opposing sort of argument to it, or a school of thought. That's what I was looking for. That all of the benefits um, of fasting and let's say keto and low carb. And all of those things, the, all all the benefits are literally just from losing weight. That's the school of thought. They're literally just from losing weight, losing body fat. And uh, if you do that through a normal calorie deficit, as opposed to fasting or keto or any of the other ones, um, that the benefits are just the same. And the benefits are basically because you're getting lighter and you're getting leaner and you're losing excess body fat. What do you think about yeah, that? I, 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 think, I, think that, I think that is interesting. Um, as I said, I would, before I kind of debate this properly, because I want to kind of give both sides uh, their fair fair shake essentially um but i would say it's not as beneficial when you when you eliminate food there's a lot of hormonal changes that happen as i said like stuff there's a lot of things like i think it's at like uh, 36 hours i think it might be like growth hormone increases a thousand percent um you don't get into that that kind of state of autophagy if you're um, like you're you're much more likely to go into from my understanding like starvation mode by being super restrictive because your body doesn't have the benefit of turning off the digestive system and you know rediverting the resources to, to other say systems um whereas when you just don't eat the body can can do that the, the hormones kind of start to upregulate particularly growth hormone igf1 um, and then the, kicking into that kind of process of autophagy, autophagy for, for health benefits but again you are right in a sense because again think of it like you restrict the calories overall you're not going to be digesting food for large portions of the day if you are in a you know in, a, in any sort of decent calorie deficit like you're not like you can't eat that much food um mm -hmm. so you can get a lot of the benefits as well i think a lot of it is like just keeping insulin suppressed for long long periods uh, that's that that's one of the things i was going to say was um because since um since uh, the fight uh, i don't have to make weight anymore so i've been eating like everything and anything around me um and i noticed that like 
like in terms of, I just feel bloated. I feel way, way less energy. And one of the reasons why I want to do this fast is just sort of clear everything out. And I've already started like restricting calories and reducing the amount of food that I'm eating already. I'm like, you just feel way better. You just feel way, like way, way less yeah. heavy and way less uh, congested and all that sort of stuff. But not just like nasally congested, like in your whole system. I don't know how else to describe it. But like if you eat like a big McDonald's or not even McDonald's, like a big uh, Domino's or something like that there, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, no, 100%. Again, it's just, like, again, counterintuitive, but you'd be surprised. Like, you, cause I've obviously done, I done, like, a three-day fast there a couple of weeks ago, and, like, it's, it's, it, it is, it's, it's very funny that, like, you haven't eaten in three days and you're not hungry at all. Like, it's just, it's so weird. Like, it's... I wasn't, I wasn't hungry the entire time for two days, and I remember doing stuff like this before, and I remember thinking, like, oh, that first bite is going to be amazing. Now, my first bite was really, really nice, but... I was actually disappointed with how unhungry I was. Like I was, I was excited to be ravenous and literally like, mm. oh. And but the fact that I was kind of like, oh, I could take it or leave it. I was like, oh, well, yeah. I'm not. That kind of, that's kind of ravenous nature. I think is more about like you know food, food addiction, for want of a better word. Like you know, like yeah. the sugar, the fast, kind of really kind of, and you you become insatiable when you kind of start eating that kind of stuff. Um, and that's but again, it's and again, I know Gabo Mate. I'll, I'll kind of use that as a pivot point back to Gabo yeah. Mate. Um, that's something he talks about a lot. I know you guys have been reading the books. I I didn't read any books, but I listened to two podcasts in the last week. Um, um just to kind of refresh my uh, my my memory on Gabriel Mate, but he is a big component of that, like you know, like um, you know the the kind of big food companies and stuff like that, engineering food, sugar, fat, and salt to essentially make us addicted um, to them. Um, and that's kind of one of the reasons that people just struggle. To, you know maintain a healthy weight in today's world because it's just so hard to practice simple things like portion control and mindful eating when the food is literally designed to get you fucking get you ravenous and have you acting like an animal well, like you it, know chop a whole bag of crisps down and not get any real nutrition but it's not just that it's like when the, he talks about it it's um so it's a whole set like let's say societal issue because you know we've advertising companies and all that jazz and like shops and all everyone's designed to basically make a profit and um, the like the way shops are set up if you ever actually look like if you ever look at it from i don't know how like from like a, a sort of distant perspective when you walk through let's say a shopping center or even just a, your local shop you know like all of the the sugary sweets and all that jazz are right at the counter and it's all there doing you know, like just for your little upsell at the end Do you know I mean like there's a, at my shop there's a coffee machine and literally right beside the coffee machine there's all the muffins all the buns all the yeah. stuff that you know would go really 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 well with that coffee and like in my head like like when i when i was being really restrictive you know, like that's all i wanted to do was to get that muffin in my like yeah. it was literally calling to me it was well, metaphorically yeah. calling to me and just be like i'm sorry Kristen. i just I just to kind of go back to that the kind of fast thing as you mentioned kind of when you were cutting weight you're kind of doing like you know like you're in a, a significant calorie deficit you're doing a lot of training that kind of stuff that kind of feel like that's that's the difference like you know like when you're in say like a calorie deficit you still have had all these cravings for all the food whereas when you're fasting it's like ah oh, like you just it's like i'm not eating and like you just don't really like you don't really get hungry like you know yeah. you want to yeah, eat yeah, for yeah. Sense of like wanting the sensation of eating the, the feeling the food in your mouth type thing uh, but it's not necessarily that you're hungry you don't you, you don't necessarily have them cravings that's um, that's, that's an interesting point though because i because something i think about that is because i i remember talking to chris about this initially and initially chris how much weight did you come down from um to so i went from like 82 point like four or five kilos uh, down to 74.2 so like, what's that? Embarrass myself here. Eight, eight kilo, is it something? Seven, eight kilo? Yeah, yeah, around eight, eight kilos. So, 
Something I was talking to Chris yeah, about. Like, was like 17 pounds. Like I, wonder, I, I wonder how much the Cravens would be there if you fasted your way there. Um, obviously not continuously, but you know, like intermittently, like two, three days, eat, two, three days, eat. Because something that I think is that when you start coming down to a certain period of like fat percentage, like that, like your hormones to me, like for, in my experience, like what the leaner I am, the hungrier I am, the more cravings I have because my body. The fatter you are, the easier fasting is. Yeah, 100%. Okay. I would say, yeah, that once you kind of get there, because you must be, I'm not, you didn't touch your body fat, but like you're in pretty good shape. Like you're, real, I would say, well, like. Eight percent body fat, maybe something like that. So you're saying no, single digit anyway? No, I'd say 12, 15. 12? No, he's definitely not. 15. You, no, 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 no. When I was 74, no, no, I was fucking, I was definitely, I was definitely 10, I, 10 or below. I'd say maybe 10, maybe really? just broken the single digit, eight, nine percent. Did you not see, like did you see my progress pictures? I did, yeah, but like, I mean, like, bodybuilders are like seven percent, eight percent. Ah, no, no, a lot of like a lot of them bodybuilders on stage, like a lot of them are five percent, sub sub five percent. A lot of them, like they're and every like every percentage, percentage, every percentage is a bigger deal. Um, yeah, okay. But uh, one of the main things, one of the reasons why I wasn't fasting, um, and I noticed this, like I noticed a massive difference um, with carb loaded uh, workouts versus uncarb yeah. loaded uh, workouts. Yeah. So, like after workout in the morning, what would happen is I would go. So my routine would be I'd go boxing and then I'd come from boxing, be completely glycogen depleted and come to fight and fit and then do the fight and fit workouts. Now, I was tired already, but the difference that I noticed was the difference when I had, let's say, a Lucasade Sport between workouts. So like I, I've experienced it where I didn't have Lucasade Sport and just everything felt way harder. There was no that oomph, that like explosive power that sort of yeah and uh, but even mentally as well that the drive wasn't there but then as soon as i was topped up with glycogen it was like oh i'm fresh again let's go let's like the the capacity to work just went way way up but and and that's why that put me on the from the the because you're locked in because you're locked in because you weren't doing because you weren't doing a fast you weren't becoming fat adapted so therefore you're always stuck kind of halfway between the two systems. You know, you weren't burning fat optimally, your body still depended on the glycogen. So when your glycogen depleted, you kind of really felt in your performance. And obviously kind of like a high carb diet, like having glycogen in your system is definitely gonna help with that kind of higher intensity style training that you were doing. Um, mm. But you can't tap into like, you know, an almost unlimited energy source when you become fat adapted. And that's kind of why it becomes easier. That kind of initial couple of days is why things like fasting and stuff is really hard as you be, as you're trying to get into that fat adapted state, um, which again is quite interesting. But again, let me let me pull it back then to Gabor Mate because I know we we only have say 30 40 minutes. Uh, what I'll do is I'll kind of read a, a brief introduction on Gabor Mate from his Wikipedia page, and then I'll let you guys then jump in and kind of add some context and your experience and your thoughts about it, considering you two have have read the the. the one or two of his books in the last month. Um, so who is Gabor Mate? Gabor Mate is a Hungarian-Canadian physician and author. He has a background in family practice and a special interest in childhood development, trauma, and potential lifelong impacts on physical and mental health, including autoimmune disease, cancer, ADHD, addictions, and a wide range of other conditions. Mate's approach to addiction focused on the trauma his uh, patients have suffered and looks to address this in the recovery. In his book, The Realm of Hungry Ghosts, Close Encounters with Addiction, Mathieu discusses the types of trauma suffered by persons with substance uh, use disorders and how this affects their decision-making uh, later in life. He believes in the connection between mind and body health. He has authored four books exploring topics including ADHD, stress, developmental psychology, and addiction. He is uh, a regular columnist for the Vancouver Sun and the Globe and Mail. So that's kind of a little uh, brief history on Gabor Mate, um, and even more into his story. One of the, 
the one of the most interesting things about his journey, I think, um, was the trauma that he suffered as a baby. I think it was 10 months old. Um, he basically was born in Hungary during the, the time of the, the wars and the Nazis and the, the, you know, the persecution of the Jews. And his family was essentially on the run. His family was being persecuted. Um, and his mother didn't know they were kind of living in, in really, really poor conditions. I think what I heard was I think they were, they were living in a, a, a facility for it was like 10 times. I think it was like a facility designed to hold 100 people, but there was a thousand people. So it was like, it was absolute squalor. There was food uncertainty. Nobody knew where the next meal was coming from. Um, obviously there was all the violence and that kind of stuff as well. So essentially his mother gave him to a Christian stranger, a woman to take him away. I think he was gone maybe for, and he was like six or eight weeks away from his mother. And he internalized that as abandonment. And that's kind of one of where his kind of, a lot of his kind of early trauma comes from. And this whole thing, as ourselves kind of coaches and therapists and people that kind of want to help people a lot of it always stems from you know your mess becomes your message the things that you struggle with are the things that you want to help other people overcome so i think that is also a very interesting part of the story he's also actually i think he's, he's like 78 80 years old uh, 70, late 70 78 i think he long but yeah, which is pretty yeah, interesting. So, and another another side, another interesting topic. He is getting massively into psychedelics in, over the last couple of years. It wasn't necessarily a big part of his career early on, but I'm pretty sure in the last five years he has been doing a lot of uh, a lot of uh, uh, mushroom ceremonies, ayahuasca, and this kind of stuff as a way. He has some crazy stories. Trauma. Sorry yeah. to interrupt, but he has some crazy stories about doing mushrooms and ayahuasca. It's mad. It's actually yeah. mad. And, and even just you know, I'm always kind of I'm always um, like not apprehensive, um, but want to kind of make sure you kind of craft the message because when you say crazy stories, people just think oh mushrooms, good on wild ones, seeing seeing mad dragons and stuff like that. But like honestly, like like for me anyway, if the stuff that I read and experienced, like like psilocybin and even things like MDMA or even ketamine, these kind of drugs are really helping people have massive massive breakthroughs when it comes to kind of dealing with their own. Uh, their own personal trauma um but there's other interesting studies that you know show cancer patients that have psilocybin trips that kind of gives them a, a sense of peace um, and alleviates a lot of their, their if they're terminal yeah death anxiety but sorry the crazy story the the crazy stories when i say that i don't mean like yeah like seeing dragons or anything like that the yeah. two there's two that come to mind one was he it was uh psychologist that was in the amazon while all of these uh, shaman sort of rituals were taking place and basically the shamans basically sensed that this is this sounds mad but um they sensed the dark energy off him and were like here you can't be around these guys joe and basically what happened because he was a psychotherapist um he hadn't like unloaded all of the trauma that he actually took from other people i know it's this sounds super I know how it sounds. Um, yeah, but um, they, they basically sensed that from him and uh, they were like, all right, come on over here with us. And he basically did his own little like retreat with a few other ones to basically cleanse him of all that sort of uh, trauma that he had acquired for people. And then the other one, which I think is even more crazy, is it was with, I think it was Canadian natives, uh, do you know, like Indians. Um, and he basically became like blood brothers with like one of these guys in the tribe that were watching like the... the um like the buffalo on the on the plains and all this sort of stuff just saying it was like one of the most incredible experiences he's ever had and uh, he is also apparently like really 
um, what's the word, like insensitive to it. So like the a normal dose of mushrooms or something like that there, depending on which one you're getting, is something like a gram or something like that there would be like a normal, and he was doing like, I think it was like 17 grams or something like that there because it takes so much to get through to him or something like No, yeah, like he's... As, as parents of McKenna said a heroic dose. Yeah, exactly. No, like, and so they, when I say crazy stories, like, again, if you if you have any experience in that thing, you'll know that that's yeah. like just... For any, anyone that thing. wants kind of a, a quick intro and kind of wants to hear that story from himself, check out, like, just Google or YouTube, Gabor Mate and Tim Ferriss. He talks, he talks about that story on the podcast that I listened to. Um, and an interesting thing I found about that story was the fact that it was like he went there, I'm pretty sure it was in South America, he went there with a group of other therapists and doctors and this type of stuff and then the guy said that this was this was the worst the the worst group no i don't want to say worst it's probably not the best way to describe it but you know the the because all of these doctors and people who've been helping other people with their depression with their own trauma um had again absorbed a lot of this kind of say like they call it dark energy um and that's why they didn't want kind of gabbermat in the room but it was more so he had a limiting belief in the sense that when the guy, because basically around to give to give everyone the say the, the called the medicine, and, and then they kind of chanted them. Like, like I'm pretty sure, like before he described, like they literally hold you and hold you like a child and, and kind of chant to you. Um, and when they were doing that, before he kind of done that, he said, "Oh, like kind of like he said something like, you know, oh, do your worst, or you know, something like, oh, do your worst. You're not going to be able to get through this thick skull or something like that. Some along lines of that. But essentially, can you have this limited loop around them, like because of the way you are, like." you're only going to detract from everybody else's experience. And then they basically took him away. I think it was over over 10 days. Every second day, he'd done like a one-on-one session with one of the shamans taking, taking the medicine. Um, now, with, with these experiences, what I've heard is that, like, do you drink this, like, tobacco drink as well first, which is, like, and it's supposed to make you, yeah, like, six. vomit and have diarrhea all at the same time. And, like, I'm sure that putting you in that sort of state where you're incredibly vulnerable as well. Like, and sit, uh, like, I'm not sure when you're sick or if you're, like, you just feel so, like, um, just, help like, us. helpless. Yeah, helpless. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm sure that, that has something to play in the, um, your psychophysiological state for when you're tripping because yeah. that would have a big fucking, big impact. Yeah, yeah, no, 100%. You need to, you need to feed. So, that whole thing where, like, it's all about setting, setting with all this stuff. Like, you know, people have bad trips and that kind of stuff. Like, you have to be around people you trust. You have to be somewhere you feel comfortable. Otherwise, you send like it's all in the head. Like you put, I feel like you put yourself in the, into a bad trip with this kind of stuff. Um, but again, so let's go to to you guys. Maybe you first, Chris, because um, you're kind of really got us on to Gabor Mate originally. Well, not originally. We've kind of we've been aware of him for, for for a long time, but kind of encourage us to kind of revisit him and kind of look look a lot more closely at a lot of the things that he has to say. So, what have your biggest insights been for Gabor Mate, and maybe what was your motivation um, to pursue these these ideas? Um, well, for the first one was on ADHD. I watched one one of his videos on ADHD. No, I watched it. Not I watched a video of him talk, on Joe Rogan talking about ADHD and the way he explained it, and um, it literally just like clicked like perfectly. And um, there's this thing I was listening to it this morning. I forget what the what the actual phrase for it is. It's like um, it's basically like the uh, there's a term I can't think of the term, but it's basically like a period where you realize that you have ADHD and you see all the symptoms, all the symptoms and the diagnostic, and then you get this sort of like thing of like, um, like sense of salvation. I know that sounds a bit weird, but, um, and like hope and like, oh, that explains everything. It explains everything so like perfectly as to why, do you want like, why you, I wouldn't have, let's say, like this sense of like psychological integrity. Um, 
it's so it's really hard to explain, but um, Gabor Mate explained it very, very uh, clearly and very, very well. And he did it from a, a self-diagnosing perspective as well, which all of the things that I would have had negative connotations with um, about myself and I would have beat myself up about, um, he was just saying it so plainly. You know, like he'd have like a Dr. Jekyll sort of Mr. Hyde thing with his kids. Um, he'd be like absent-minded in certain areas. Um, he had like a weird shopping addiction. I ne- never had like a shopping addiction, but stuff like poor impulse control and all that sort of stuff. I was like, you know, like instead of like, why can't I control this? Why can't I do something about this? Or why do I let myself down in these certain things? It was like, it's like ADHD and it's a trauma response, which is really um, like when you realize what it is and how the the solution to it as well, which the solution is to basically parent yourself with a compassionate curiosity which is like when you do do something like that there, it's not to, to, my initial reaction would have been something to like basically condemn myself and like beat myself up about it and be like, do better, do better, do better. But like that literally only like creates more shame and guilt. And when you have that like extra shame and guilt, it makes you more compulsive and more impulsive and more reactive and doesn't let you basically develop. And the compassionate curiosity parent yourself is basically where you give yourself this sort of secondhand perspective mindfulness helps as well to give you that sort of distance and to look at it and then to basically be like all right well john why did you have that impulse john and understand that it's actually like a normal it's actually like a normal sort of thing but you do need to learn to deal with it if that makes sense you need to learn to integrate it integrate it yeah so like whatever the impulse is you know like if it's overeating do you get me it's like well steal the the way i think about it is that you steal man the the impulse but from a compassionate perspective, not like a condemning perspective. So like the the impulse for overeating, like why do you overeat? Why are you binge? Why are you comfort eating right now? It's like, well, number one, it works. It makes you feel better and it's actually solving the problem. Okay, well, it's like, how else could you comfort yourself right now? And this actually ties into the precision nutrition way for helping people get over emotionally and all that sort of stuff as well, which is um, basically getting to understand that it actually works and that it is doing something because if you don't, you're unconscious of it. And it's just an unconscious impulse that's dictating your behavior when it's conscious, you can do something about it. Uh, so when you understand what it is, you can give yourself a different way to fulfill that need or impulse or whatever it is. So, uh, I don't, I feel like I've uh, gone on a slight on a tangent there, but I don't know how else to explain it. Yeah, no, that's interesting. And I, I, before you can interject, Brandon, I would also say that you know, like, because we this is this is something that we we are all very interested in. We kind of are on a journey of of what would you say self discovery, uh, a journey of personal growth. All of us, and we kind of realize anyone knows our history. You know, most people in general, this is something that I'm becoming more and more aware of as we go. Like, I feel like all a lot, I don't want to say all people, but a lot of people, the majority of people have some sort of trauma um again like it exists on a spectrum like it's like right how traumatized are you like maybe you're not uh one a 10 out of 10 maybe you're like more like a two or three or four or five or whatever it might be um but this is something that we see all the time when it comes to fighting fit like you know some people come in they just follow the program and they just get great results other people again like i'm always kind of put myself in the shoes of like say like the, the quote-unquote the the worst client um and like you, you know, we talk about this a lot, Brian. Like you know, there's those clients that like you know, you wake up thinking about them. Like, how do I help this person? Like, what's 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 missing? But it seems to be from from what I can see, you know, people need to maybe you know work through their um, their trauma essentially. Um, again, I, myself included, 100%. Um, so hey, what sorry. did you? Go on. With there, just to interject, there was something that you said earlier about Gabor Mate um, when he you said that he basically internalized the trauma that he got and like the bit like he was only a baby at that point like literally only a baby and when he, did, he didn't yeah huh he was 10 months old 
Yeah, yeah. So and I, like a bit like, and he did internalize that, but that mm. was entirely unconscious. There was no yeah. story that he was telling himself. There was no verbal dialogue in his mind. That was internalized, and that's the thing. Like basically, like, he was unlovable, and he was basically abandoned. Like, and it was like, so you're not good enough here. We need to send you away because your own mother doesn't even love you. And when you internalize something like that, there as you develop, like, that's going to have a massive impact on how you relate to other people because you know like everyone else is lovable and you're not yeah. but the the big point is that you know it was unconscious which is yeah that's crazy. that's actually that's actually very interesting because there's a lot of people that like say aren't on the the personal growth path like it's just not something they're even conscious of they're not even conscious of how these unconscious traumas are actually impacting their day-to-day life um so, so I, I do think that actually is actually very interesting. There's a lot of people that aren't even aware of like why they're probably why the, why they have why the same patterns keep showing up in their life, or maybe say negative patterns, things that aren't serving them. Why that keeps showing up again and again and again? I said it's probably pro- probably due to some sort of trauma that maybe needs needs addressed. Um, Brandon, what's what's your thoughts on Gabriel trauma? A very interesting <clears throat> idea that he has with ADHD is. So there's ADHD and then there's ADD, and the two of those are all often lumped in together, but they kind of are the same, but ADD is attention deficit disorder, and the hyperactivity is the ADHD. So the hyperactivity is, you know, the the jitteriness necessary, and you can have ADD without having the hyperactive element to it, and so that's important to remember. And one thing he did say about ADD or ADHD is you could nearly replace the A from attention to attunement. So really what the... The condition comes from is an attunement deficit disorder and attunement is essentially where you're now this is i don't really necessarily know essentially but basically when you cry i respond in kind you know and obviously if i respond if you cry and i slap you you know that's going to leave you you know not attuned properly like how do we want to attune people you know we want to have what we believe to be reasonable and rational and compassionate compassionate curiosity you know when your child cries you go what's wrong, not shut up. And so yeah. essentially if, well, that's in, 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 in a very small, simple statement, that's kind of what he says ADD comes from. So an awful lot of people who have, so Gabor Mate says he passed on his ADD to his kids and it's, there's no gene for it. And so Gabor Mate, again, in, in, to his credit, really opens his heart and home a little bit as to how he was, you know, letting people down now that he knows better and obviously teaching people from his experience. And one of the things that he did, obviously, because he, he had ADD and he had his own stuff going on, he didn't attune properly to his kids because he was so involved in what he had going on and he was a workaholic and stuff like that, that just that lack of attention and awareness and appreciation for his kids left them with ADD because they weren't getting attuned properly that they maybe were left running off on their own devices and another thing with ADD and also ADD is is it's this spectrum and so obviously there's, there's people who have ADD characteristics and these characteristics can come from the same kind of root causes and so you might not associate or identify or even be diagnosed with ADD but you might find that some of the issues are recurring for you and some of the same patterns can be the same and one interesting thing that he said was about this allergy this this there's this nervous system allergy response that we can have so if i if i bring a dog near somebody who's allergic to dogs it's like they don't have a choice they just respond the body just has this response to it and so some people with add what they can do is they can really struggle and struggle regulating their emotions and so if something happens to them consciously they could be aware of this 
very rational conversation and very rational way of dealing with things, but their their nervous system is attuned to this old memory, this old response system, this old response pattern that they got used to and they got attuned to. And so when someone calls them out, they lash out, or when someone when someone confronts them, that they withdraw. And so there's lots of different patterns that we can have, and we can have these memory patterns in in our in these neural pathways in our brain. I think he calls them neural memories or something like that. Or anyway, you get the idea. Essentially, you know, it's a memory, but it's not necessarily you know a, a circumstantial memory. It's a nervous system memory. This is how we remember to react to this certain situation. And so until we kind of start recognizing what our patterns are and he, he goes through in detail like for talks if you ever get in, in an argument with your wife you know you, you start getting cold and kind of you know getting all quiet and one word answers and this kind of stuff and yeah. so it's like that's a pattern that's that's how you learn to be and obviously a, a, a mature even when you're sitting there you can be very aware that this isn't how you want to behave but this is in your nervous system and it's very 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 hard to shake and this yeah. is why the, the, the curiosity compassion comes in because you really have to work on this long term it's not something that you can just say to someone like for talk's sake you know i'm being rude to my wife because because of hitler is what, what he said you know so hitler was mean to me therefore i'm going to be rude to my wife is like that's not going to hold up in every single argument and so even though you know the, the the root cause we understand now we still have to take this responsible ownership for it and understand what it is and maybe explain it to the people around you so that way they can get a, a, a foot in as to understand why you're acting the way that you're acting. And so having ADD and having all these emotional problems from trauma that experience in early life, whether like conscious or unconscious, like people think again, trauma be you know, something happened to me, I internalize it, it's conscious. It's like it could literally just be you're neglected as a kid, you know, you're always made to go to your room. And so you just have this way of processing things in a certain way. Maybe you didn't have anybody to talk to, so you don't talk to anybody. You know, maybe, you know, every time, you know, you, or maybe you're just a crier. Like maybe you just break down emotionally for whatever reason. It's like that's just the way you go. And so obviously, with, with the, hopefully with the help of professional and some therapy, you figure out what the, the best way or the most up-to-date version of the reaction would be and then so you're trying to work on just kind of achieving that and so obviously meditation i think is absolutely crucial and something i was thinking an awful lot about lately is just this whole idea like people can't sit with themselves like you have this whole internal world and it should be like your place and your happy place but a big report that i get so so often is that people do not want to sit by themselves because they're not happy in themselves and if you don't like meditation if you literally can't sit by yourself it's like it's maybe because you have all this trauma and what your mind should be is people think that your mind should this be this creative factory that just kind of gives you these wonderful ideas whereas actually what a sad guru says your mind should be it should be a mirror and so it should be clarity so you should have clarity in your mind an awful lot of people that when they go into their mind maybe there's avoidance and so that's kind of what ADD is or ADHD is is that when you end up in pain if you can't fight or flight, well, then we nearly create this avoidance pattern in our brain. And that's why these people who have ADD and have trauma who couldn't fight, fight, and some people do fight and some people do withdraw, but ADD, what they tend to do is they tend to get distracted and create a, a, a little bit of a dream or reality for themselves. And so we can't concentrate because to sit and concentrate reminds us of the pain or the trauma that we had when you're younger. So interesting and just uh, on the the story of a gabber mate um 
where you kind of met, you, one of the stories that he brought up in the podcast was essentially when he was coming home from uh, a conference somewhere. He's basically flying home. His wife was supposed to pick him up at the airport. I think you mentioned like you know treating his wife badly or whatever is an example that he gave. He was supposed to, his wife was supposed to pick him home, pick him up at the airport. He arrived. He arrived there. He called her to see where she was to collect them. Um, she didn't. She wasn't there. She's an artist herself. Supposedly, you know, she gets in these you know deep creative states. It's one of the reasons that he really likes her when she's with. When she's painting, she's painting. Nothing else matters. You know, she's kind of in this artistic flow or whatever. She kind of forgot about him. I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Um, you know, would you mind getting a taxi or whatever? I was like, yeah, sure. And then from that moment then, he kind of became blunt. And then, but only because it related back to his trauma of abandonment. He felt abandoned by her. Um, and therefore, that's kind of why he had that response. And, and the thing we, we talk about, Chris, and I kind of feel this all the time. I'm much, I'm, I'm a lot more aware of it now. Um, what do you call a reflective... Um, what is it called again? Reflective compulsion. Compassionate curiosity. Oh no, no reflexive. Um, what is it? Reflexive counter will. Reflexive counter will. Find out. I find myself doing that a lot. Um, or it's kind of one of my. It's one of my kind of go tos, as you mentioned around these kind of neural pathways. The way I like to think about it is, uh, you know, that 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 example of the the the, the snow covered mountain and the skiers or the snowboarders. And every time we kind of have these thoughts or kind of feel these emotions we're ingraining these pathways so these become then our default go-to's um, it can be very difficult to uh, it can be very difficult to um, get out of these neural pathways or these ways of thinking or feeling uh, when you're kind of being reactive but that's what i, I have a question for you do. go on how uh, how weird is it how weird is it um being in a state where you're enacting your reflexive counter will but also conscious that you're doing that unconsciously at the same time yeah yeah, yeah no, it, 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 it is because well, you, you know you know it's not necessarily the most appropriate way to respond but again for me it just feels but it like it feels right it's a feeling no but it's a feeling in your it's a feeling in your gut more so than anything else i feel like it's just this this urge to more like to, to kind of bite back or you yeah. know you're doing it no, sorry sorry so well, one thing i think is very very interesting about that is like, phone, actually, so people understand what it is one, one thing I think is very interesting with that is it, it just completely changes your script. So like you've got this one script, this who you are, what you value. And once your nervous system, for whatever reason, engages in a certain way, that entire script can change and suit. as like you can manip like it's man completely manipulated and completely like propagandized for your no uh, bad mood or whatever that for you to justify the way that you're acting because now you feel wrong. But like I know mine is like mine's rejection. Like if I get rejected, now, I'm not sure what trauma I've had in my past that I got rejected for whatever reason. But if I get rejected by I think people, we all know. I think we know. Well, um, I haven't. Well, maybe we, maybe we can talk about it. I'm not sure, like consciously, what it is. I'm still not entirely sure. But I feel like I feel like if I get rejected for whatever reason, again, like I just feel like that just <laughs> that just does it for me. Yeah. I just, I just I, a relationship I, with your mother. Great. Because <laughs> yeah. for, for anyone just kind of give a, just give a little bit of contrast and even just for us to kind of be a little, a little vulnerable vulnerable here to kind of let people know a little bit more about our story like our story is like you know with foster care and different things like i'm sure there is you know i would assume we've got abandonment issues and and that kind of you know lack of lack of connection or maybe feeling unloved at certain points and kind of feel like that's where a lot of our trauma obviously comes from but the fact that we're aware of it and more you know said compassion and curiosity like we're doing our best to kind of start this journey of of personal growth and self-discovery um because a lot of people aren't and a lot of people are unaware because i'd be I, my early 20s i just became aware of like how 
how toxic some of some of the unconscious behaviors and stuff that I was engaging in were impa- impacting the people that I loved and weren't necessarily serving me. And because I'm here in Portugal now, kind of on this retreat, I'm kind of doing a little bit of inner work and kind of, you know, think about my mission, my vision and vision and kind of goals for the future. And kind of today, the thing that keeps coming up in my mind is like to this kind of concept of like, you know, every generation passes their trauma on to the next generation. And kind of my mission for my life is to make sure that it, that it ends with me, that I don't pass my trauma on to Molly. This is why like, this kind of stuff actually makes me feel a bit emotional, like is becoming more and more urgent um, older I get because, you know, um, we just want to have happy, healthy children. Um, Steve, do you I understand? A, Go sorry. On. I, I had an instance last night, literally I was lying on the couch and um, Mason kept over, like I literally had a full mug of tea and he literally was like lying beside me and everyone's going good and we were watching TV or whatever like that and he literally just kicked the tea all over the sofa and all over me. And I was like, oh, sake. I was like, Mason. And then, like, I actually, to be fair, thank God, I didn't actually have to think about it. I didn't get mad at him at all. It's not his fault. You know, but I remember just thinking, like, if, like, I remember thinking, like, if, if I had flipped on him, like, I'm like, that's, like, that's the pattern that sticks around. And that's the way, you, like, how you treat people, like, in that impulsive, reactive state is like, yeah, that's exactly that's, and that, and that unconscious state. That's yeah, the thing, and that's what you kind of talking about, about meditation. Like that's what meditation seems to do. And again, I'm definitely no master master of meditation, but it doesn't mean that when I use these tools that they don't massively massively help me. But meditation for me seems to help me create that space between 100%. the uh, stimulus and my reaction. Something yeah. happens, um, and how impulsive is my reaction going to be, or can I just take a half a second just to think and be more conscious about my response? And it really is it really is cool. If anybody has never experienced that, like I really, really, really mean it. If you are struggling with a problem and there is no space between the time that you you know what you want to do and you just find yourself on this in this unconscious habit. And sa- again, I was listening to a lot of Sad Guru because I was fasting um, and Sad Guru was talking about, you know A bunch of hippies. We we talk about we talk about all the time these creating good habits and bad habits. He's like there is no good habits or bad habits. There is only habits, and what a habit is, it's acting unconsciously. And human beings, one of the amazing things about us is that we can act consciously. It's like the, an animal eats unconsciously. It it does everything essentially unconsciously. And humans are the only fully conscious. You know, we can do things in full consciousness, and we start to create these, like I said, these habits. And so. Obviously, it's good every once in a while, especially, you know, you know, if you just want to take the common standard, the common standard is everybody slips into unconscious now, now and again. But his thought on it is that we don't want to be unconscious. We want to be conscious. And that's what meditation does. It's like if like for, for toxic. So let's let's think back to our trauma. Why do we act so impulsively and unconsciously? Well, because we have reacted emotionally and have this pattern just locked in that you don't even need to think about it now because you are so used to adversity and trauma that it's now unconscious, just an unconscious part of who you are because that, that's... Well, it becomes, it becomes, but it becomes a part of your identity and kind of feel like who you are, like this is just the way I am. When it's like, well, it doesn't necessarily have to be... Well, of course, but of course, but of course, it's of course that's how you interpret the story because it's something you can't change because you 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 are unconscious with it. Whereas if you were to become conscious, you'd understand. Like, like, and this is again back to those people who just smash the program. It's like those people who just don't shout at people when something goes wrong. Those people who just don't shut down. They sit and they're rational about it because they're not traumatized at least in that area. And so they are they are conscious. So when 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 confrontations happen, they don't become unconscious. They're conscious about it because you know they don't well, have this. one of the one of the biggest factors for adhd is poor impulse control that's one of the biggest factors as well so like 
so that they have an impulse drone aware that there's space between the impulse and the, the impulse and the behavior and um they just don't like they don't know how to not that they don't know how maybe they do but maybe they because they have other things that are taken up let's say their willpower or their attention or their consciousness that ends up not being able to be consciously not suppressed but interpreted and um one of the best things you can do to sort of do that is to sit and there's a thing with the precision nutrition that helps um and the technique is called surfing the urge so surfing the urge what happens is like let's say you do have that impulse to binge or to eat that chocolate bar or whatever it is it's like first you need to be conscious enough to recognize that you have the impulse so you need to do that so as soon as you recognize that you need to write it down and make it a big deal make it a big deal that you've recognized this thing and then after that set a timer on your phone for three to five minutes however long it is but three to five minutes and sit and wait with the impulse or do something else wherever it is but after three to five minutes you've you've waited you've felt the urge you've felt the sensation of i want this and that's a it's an all right sensation and then afterwards decide consciously if you want it or if you don't and either way it's good because you've already surfed the urge and you've practiced joe not being impulsive yeah. and that's what's so good about the the surfing the urge um, technique which really, really helps i find it found it really, really helpful because i am quite impulsive when it comes to stuff like i'll just be like fuck it i'm doing it and then i'll go all in and i think yeah. that in my head the way i rationalize it is that like i'm just being myself whatever it is but it's not really it's just an impulse that i haven't regulated if that makes sense um and also one, one of the things i wanted to mention um about meditation is that the main the main benefit you get from meditation with adhd is um calming your nervous system so you're quite quite reactive um, and that comes from trauma and being in a constant defensive sort of state rather than that collaborative uh, state but when you are in that defensive reactive state which can be like literally society is just like go 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 just fucking do everything you're you're that's like your default state and when you meditate what you basically do is you take deep diaphragmatic breaths this isn't even like psychological this is physical you take these deep diaphragmatic breaths and it calms and soothes your nervous system and when your nervous system isn't in this reactive state and it's calm well then everything else is a lot clearer so like the analogy is you know the if you're looking at a lake and it's really windy so you can't really see through the lake but you take a few deep breaths it calms the 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 weather calms the lake and then all of a sudden it's crystal clear and when you can't when you breathe and you like again this is not even like meditation meditation this is just breath work like just deep diaphragmatic breaths in for four seconds pause for one or two and then out for four seconds in through your nose out your mouth like that there if you do it right now you'll almost feel you're like ah it is it's so calming to some of that exhale was it the ujjayi breath ah from yoga ujjayi yeah yeah that's it um but when you when you do that you're like your nervous system is literally calmer it's soothing yeah. and then it's less reactive and then that gives you, you more space. That one breath, I feel like literally feel a little bit better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think no, somebody's no. literally just, thinking, just, <laughs> just, just as you said it, right? Let's say, let's say through your life. Sorry, Maybe sorry, you to sorry, sorry to interrupt, but uh, you can keep going, but your breath, it literally dictates your physio, like your, your nervous system state. So if you start breathing fast, you'll amp mm-hmm. yourself up. If you start slowing and lengthening, you'll calm everything down. Sorry. Yeah. Cause then what, if you're about to do something, you're about to jump off a cliff, like, <laughs> Literally, this is why I do it before every every single one of my big lifts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, get, I get my yeah. diaphragm fucking. Uh, uh, I get as much tension as possible as well. But yeah. sorry, go on. 
that's something that's interesting. If you think about like, let's say trauma and let's talk about your nervous system in just in that sense. And so if like, just, just that sense of reactivity. So if you have like 50, maybe minor to moderate traumatic experiences, and maybe that's just someone coming in and screaming at you and you didn't deserve it. Maybe it's just stress in the house, your parents are fighting, whatever, whatever it is that's kind of got. Sorry, more... sorry, Mike, can, can, I just, can I just jump in there just to say, because what Gabriel Mantis says about, about trauma is, sorry, everyone gets interrupted yet. Apologies. But he basically says, remember, it's not what happens. It's the story you have about what happens. He says yeah, that. He says it in a slightly, slightly different way. But it's not It's not what happens. It's what happens inside. Mm. So it's not necessarily that whole thing. Like people can experience the exact same experience and have completely different uh, reactions to it, depending on how they internalize that thing. That's mm. kind of what trauma is. It's not the thing that happens to you. It's how you internalize that thing or kind of what happens in your body. Um, yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to say, because one thing that could happen is that you could experience a trauma and your nervous system absolutely panics and then you just go into denial about it. It's like, well, that's you can tell yourself it didn't affect you as much as you want, but your nervous system is still sitting there on sixth gear. That's actually that's exa- that, that was one of the things I used to sort of pride about myself, which is really weird, yeah. which is that like, you know, oh, this doesn't affect me. You know, like whatever, even if it was something real bad or like, yeah, like I've been sure so it's not a big deal. Yeah, well, that's, you know, that's even though it was. I completely agree. I like because my 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 natural there you go. My trauma response is just to laugh things off. It's like I'm not able to. But 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 in 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 a good way, like in a sense, like I like it helps me internalize it because it nearly does disarm. It takes it serious in a way, and for my nervous system, then it does kind of calm it down. So it's not like I'm just denying it. It's like I'll kind of I'll 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 like I'll I'll see it for what it is and just go ah, but also but and it kind of helps me break down and internalize. I find humor actually to be a very good way of dealing with problems it's like because it's not like it's not like i'm not dealing with it. it's like you know well this is actually another way to look about it but anyway if your yeah, nervous system if your nervous system gets jolted up like very very high 20 times or even like if it's a severe trauma just once will do it like people can have one bad car accident and it'll really just leave them amped up and that's like you know one extreme experience versus you know 20 30 minor to moderate but again we're amping up the engine and it's like how many times do you think like how, well, how many times have you literally sat and just calmed yourself down since? Like, have you ever calmed yourself down since? Like, have yeah. you ever even just thought about it and just tried to breathe through it? Like, go back to that place, take yourself, close your eyes, go back to that place and feel everything just kind of revving up and then just go, okay, I'm going to learn now to self suit Like, because again, when, when Mason gets upset, what do I do? I pick him up, I carry, I go, shh, 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 calm down, shh, shh. And you build him into a little rhythm and you go, I know you think, so it's just calm down. It's just calm down. It's just calm down. And again, like as you said, the, the solution is to self-parent yourself. And nobody's literally going to physically pick you up unless you go to a, an ayahuasca retreat and they might not. Um, um, uh, just, idea- just on that. Sorry, sorry, dude. Because you're all about self-soothing. Um, this is another one. I've seen this on TikTok, uh, and it actually works incredibly well. This is one of the reasons why I think uh, walking works so good uh, as well for like calming the nervous system. But basically, see if you go like left, right, left, right, left, right, left, right, left, right, left, right. That hypnotic, uh, repetitive yeah. thing is really, really, really soothing. So if you're looking to actually try and calm yourself down, right, stick on some really relaxing, nice, calm music. Do you know all that spiritual sort of woo-woo music uh, is really good for this as well. All right, lay back in bed. Maybe you're sitting on Cross both arms like this here. Close your eyes. Start breathing. And then just go left, right. Left, right, left, right, left, right, left, right. What if right I told there. you this? What if I told you that's because it's it um, it brings you back to your time in the womb of literally just hearing bum 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 bum. 
That, that could literally be it. And that could be safety and security. But you're also giving yourself a hug. You're giving yourself some compassion. Like, one of, one of the big the biggest things with trauma is that, like, Joe, like, the reason trauma happened to you was because you're a bad person and you don't deserve to be happy and because you're absolutely awful and you don't deserve love. And then, Joe, like, you'll feel this, like, inner resistance to actually giving yourself some love. You'll be like, you know, like, giving yourself some compassion. Like, there's almost this knee-jerk, maybe reflexive counter will to doing it because you know you don't deserve it. Uh, so like when you're doing it you might feel a bit cringy or a little bit like bad at doing it but like if you're someone who actually does love themselves like giving yourself a big hug like will feel like quite natural exactly, quite yeah. easy it's a big video. It's it's very interesting. people should try that i think just to kind of really see what like on the spectrum like how much self-love they have like do you cringe can could you give yourself a hug i know i've kind of find that because i'm you know trying to become a little more woo-woo as i get older like i'm becoming better at doing it um but it's still something that i do feel like uh, uh like an impulse against almost it's not really you can also just be in denial that you don't need it especially especially with like that kind of like masculine energy you know just kind of like i don't need it i'm fine it's like look man you're not you're shouting at everybody every time that the smallest things happen you know it's like every time there's a confrontation you know you're the first one that everybody looks to with a problem it's like it's not okay you're not okay i know you think you're okay but you're in denial and so like one of the big things for me is like look at the results you know it's like if you are getting if you keep getting a problem that you don't want and like fair enough someone literally comes up and punches you in the face unprovoked not your fault but generally interpersonal relationship is like it's a 50 50 street and so generally speaking if you keep like one person fair enough two people maybe you know three people is like we're starting to see a common denominator here and if that is you it's like maybe you have the problem and so we need to not be in denial about things here and as i said these very simple things like meditation we've been harping on for ages now again they're starting to become an awful lot of crossroads and intersection as to why this is so important and it is so simple as like as again back to sad guru one of the reasons i love about sad guru is like he never really gets really complicated things is like you know everything's really simple and so the big thing is like you know your mind it's like your mind is for clarity and if you don't have clarity it's like one of the things he said is like if there's this guy and it's like and he's got and um gabber Mate talks about this in his books as well it's like this kind of whole we make ourselves sick through this repression. Like one of the things Gabor Mate was saying about women with breast cancer is that one of the most common common factors, common personality traits that these people have is anger repression. And so, which is which is crazy. And, and so the illness, illness that kind of manifests, manifests oh, in the body. All right, all right, wait there, wait there. Just just interrupt real quick, okay? The, the psychophysiological response for this okay blew me away because steve you know you know me like my sort of side on things is even frozen my sort of side on things is like look if it sounds woo woo i am not giving it the benefit of the doubt i need the actual and the way he explains it in um what's the, what's the name of it? the myth of normal the way he explains yeah. it in this book and like how tat like it's actually like how it works and how when you repress like your your emotional reactions like your emotional anger reaction is uh um it's actually like an immune response which seems seems very weird but it's like a protective thing to actually like protect you and it's you i don't think you use the exact same system but it uses the a similar system on the same tracks it's like this is self-defense and self-preservation and when you repress that you actually repress your nervous system or not your nervous system your immune system, immune system. Immune system. and that's what's hap- and that's apparently what's happening with it with the thing and that's why they're getting it because of this emotional repression like and that's sorry, the, 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 the only reason, but one of one of the factors that should definitely be considered. 
He's a doctor, right? He's a doctor, Dr. Gabriel Mate. He's really like well versed, and I'm sure he would have been absolutely slid. And I haven't done the research to see if it, but I mean, he talks with full certainty. So I'm sure they've done the research about the correlation. He's like, this correlates like, like Lou Gehrig's disease. Lou Gehrig's disease is, is, he literally said, one of the like the highest correlation between Lou Gehrig's disease and, and personality was every single person with Lou Gehrig's disease is nice to a fault to a fault and for whatever reason it's like really that person a common a common joke in the, yeah a common joke in the the culture of people who are treating Lou Gehrig's disease he couldn't have Lou Gehrig's disease he's he's not nice enough <laughs> you know it's like it's, and stuff like that and so and and I remember citing a good few weeks ago right, what, what is what is that disease Lou Gehrig's disease it's a it's a motor neuron disease it basically it's fucking just shuts your whole body down bit by bit it's horrible it's absolutely uh, Lou Gehrig's disease. It was a famous baseball player, I think. I think it's called Modern Neur- M- MS. Is that maybe? Yeah. Or, yeah. Modern, yeah. Modern yeah. Anyway, but the book, the book I was listening to, funny enough, so I think so, someone just recommended it to me, and I, I had no idea what it was about going into it. And funny enough, it is all this kind of stuff. It's called um, "It's All in Your Head," and it's about these people. Like there was this girl, and literally lost the use of her left arm, and it goes into the story as to why she did it, and you know, it essentially, it was psychological, but. It's not just making it up. And one of the things Sad Guru was saying, he was saying, it's like, ask this person. He's like, ask this person if they're, you know, if they're sick and they have no idea why, you know, nausea and vomit and, and there's no reasons to why. He's like, ask them, are they playing? Are you, are, you know, are you joking? And, you know, they're 100% serious. No, I'm not joking. And then it's like, right, okay, well, then you need to go play. You know, it's like, that's really, that's uh-huh. as simple as that. And so it's like, if you're not playing, you need to play. And if you're playing, you need to stop playing. And so yeah. that's that's really it. You know, it's really, really is really that simple. And then again, the big thing is like we need to be still. Wait, we need we need to have peace. Explain in that. Explain that to me in a different way. What do you mean? So, like I said, if you're making it up, you need to stop making it up. You know, playing. But he uses that. You yeah. know, double under. It's like you know, you need to go play. You need to go live your life. You need to go start enjoying your life and having fun and taking this whole thing that you're taking so seriously. You know, whatever this problem is, is like it's you're not you're not you're not lighthearted enough about life and about yourself. And your nervous system is obviously too too heavily. Actually, packed. actually. Uh, just on, on that note with ADHD and with Gavin Mate, one of the things that he does mention is with play. Is that like, you know, like if you're in this sort of like, you know, let's say um, you're at home and uh, you're a kid and your parents are fighting and they're all was angry and all that time and you don't have this stability at home, well, then you don't feel safe. Uh, and when you don't feel safe, it, you don't feel comfortable to play because playing is something that's only done in a safe sort of fun environment. And uh, if you don't feel safe and you're agitated and you're defensive all the time, then you won't play. And then if you don't play, you don't get socialized properly as a kid. And when you don't get socialized properly as a kid, like ADHD kids always get bullied and all that sort of stuff as well because they can't interact another, with people. Another tidbit to that. I was talking to Chloe and she was talking about, you know, kids in foster care and because yeah, she's working now in, in, a, in a crash and, or in a play school. And obviously she's looking into child psychology and all that kind of stuff as well. And one of the things that she was talking about is one of the tests that they do is that they'll like bang a door really loud or like, you know, they'll do something like to mimic, you know, a drastic, shocking response. And kids who are living in a, in a home where that's commonplace, like won't even react. Like they'll just keep going on whatever activity that they're doing. And other kids will be like, oh, what's going on? And you'll see these kids and they're there playing away because they're well used to everything just going crazy. And that's a chaotic environment. That's, yeah, that's how the nervous system can attune. It's like we just, we just accept normal and we're used to it. And these other kids are like, if they heard that, like their wee nervous would jump out of their skin. But these other kids yeah. are like, 
I'm, I'm well, taking that as a, as a good sign because anytime someone knocks the door or something like in the house, Molly fucking freaks out. She's like, oh, what's going on? Like, there's yeah, a knock yeah. at the door, even, which is Hilarious. I'm taking that as a good sign. I'm doing a good job. Um, let me see. So, what I want to do actually before we kind of finish off this because we're coming up to the to the one hour mark, I actually just wanted to play a little bit of Gabor Mate himself because again, I although we I love having these conversations, I'm actually loving the fact that we've got a nice wee streak on with the podcast. It seems to be yeah. uh, on, the, on the calendar quite regularly. I'm enjoying these conversations. Um, but it's, in, it's always best to go to source. So I just want to play a little bit of Gabor Mate here just to give it, the listeners a little bit more insight into, you know... Um, the man, the myth, the legend. Exactly. So let me see. I'll pull up some interesting stuff. Zeros just love his voice. Hoping that can... And one of the ways that we cope when children are traumatized, one of the ways they cope is to soothe themselves, and then that's where addictions come in. But another way to be is you get the message that you're not good enough, that you are not worthy enough. Then you might spend the rest of your life trying to prove that you are. And how do you do that? By being very nice to everybody. By never saying how you feel. Because they might not like how you feel. But never expressing how the anger is somebody crossing across your boundaries. By working too hard to prove that you're worthwhile. That's why I was talking about the because I got messages in the internet. As a Jewish student under the Nazis in the Second World War, I got the messages in the world that it wasn't good enough. Well, when you spend the rest of your life saving, by taking on too much, and you're stressing yourself, and those stresses have an impact on your physiology, they have an impact on your immune system, they have an impact on your cardiovascular system, on your heart, on your system. They can cause diseases. So most diseases that most of my colleagues, the physicians, think they just ran around arbitrary diseases, do not run around arbitrary at all. There is a lot of light strong stresses that result from the charge of attempt to compensate. Creates coping mechanism. Interesting. And then one more. Um, I'm sorry, um, there's a little bit of an echo there. If 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 we could maybe all mute ourselves just when you're playing it, just because I'm not, not sure if, if that was the video. Yeah, yeah. So we just I think, yeah, I have headphones, so. Cool. It sounds good on my end. Um, yeah, maybe mute yourself, Brandon, because it's coming from my, my computer, so I think it's just repeating three yours. And then one more before we go. Here's one on AD, uh, ADHD. Intense can't help but absorb stress. What does it does it do? The most salient feature of the environment that shapes the surface of the brain is actually the relationship with the parents. And then if the parents are present and emotionally attuned and available, the child will be developed properly. If the parents are stressed, the child absorbs the stress. What can they do, what with, can it? They do they with it? They tune out. And, and that tuning out thing is programmed into the brain. brain. And then 10 years later, or 50 years later, we say, you got this disease. No, you don't. You've got a coping mechanism that's no longer working for you. But it had a function when it first came It's me. And just kind of just touches that what you said about this kind of compassionate compassionate inquiry. Yeah, or curiosity. Same thing. So again, those just going to give you guys, uh, listeners, a, a little bit of an insight into the man himself. Um, I would encourage you to, to look it up. Again, if you're not a big reader, some very, very interesting podcasts. He's been on Joe Rogan, Tim Ferriss, 
pretty much all that he's doing a bit of a book tour a bit of a podcast circuit now at the minute because he's got got his new book coming out um i find i find it very very helpful very very useful um gives a lot of insight and also kind of gives you some as you said that that's the most important thing i think you said is just it, it helps you understand yourself that a little bit better um and allows you to be a little bit more compassionate with yourself um but also give me some useful tools and tactics and that you can implement to you know to be to be better or to not to be better that's probably not the best way to say that's my problem my trauma coming through um uh but to, to be happier you know to be more can to be more content i think um, that's well, the, that's well, one thing. sorry Kristen, you started you started going ahead um the thing i was going to say was um like this is when the biggest thing that that helped me when i started listening to his book like i was actually going for a walk and i was trying to hold back tears because i never felt so like heard and understood in my whole life listening to this guy and um but the biggest thing that helped as well, it wasn't just stuff that I could do uh, with me. It was like having conversations with you guys as well and having you guys try and understand it. And then like actually having you listen and understand it as well was like one of the biggest, um, most reassuring things that the book has gotten me. So like when you're doing it, like the, if, anytime I listen to a book like that there, I want to miss it. It's more like, it's more for myself. And it feels like all the things I have to do are actual by me. And part of me resisted sort of doing it because it made me feel like I wasn't owning it, if that makes sense. But like just having the conversation is owning it. Do you get me? Like it's taking action on the on the stuff. But like it's it felt like I was like I had to do everything myself because if I outsource any sort of let's say disability, it's like creating a limit in belief, if that makes sense. And being able to understand that like it's not like that's not the way to perceive it. And that like Joey, you can sort of it's not like you have to take responsibility for the stuff that happens. Like you can't blame Hitler for being traumatized. Do you get me? But at the same time, Joe, you know, like it's, you ever see that thing in, was it, is it Goodwill Hunting? He's like, it's not your fault. It's not your yeah. fault. Oh, I literally only, I heard someone say that the other day. It could have been the Gary Mate book. And that's, I, I never seen that scene, but like I heard that it's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your oh, fault. Man, I need to watch that movie. That movie is incredible. Yeah. Is, yeah. Incredible. Yeah, I After that, that really made me want to see it. Yeah. So like, it's not your fault. It's, and it's a, it's really like it's not your fault like it's not it's not your fault it's not anyone's fault like you know we're all just we're all just kids at heart like just these just children children that just wanted wanted to be loved Um, that brings me on to david goggins right i listened to that book right i listened to that book seven times i know that book and i never cried i never cried during that book until i had mason and i listened to that i listened to that book again after i'd mason and see listen to his childhood fuck me like like thinking about now having a kid and thinking about somebody doing that to their kid, like it really, like it made me cry. Here I'm just thinking about it, it's so horrible. And his dad would constantly tell him, like, you're like, I'm not raising these little FAGs, like really fucking shitty stuff, like really shitty, shitty stuff, like no weak weaklings in my house. And that man is literally out there trying to prove to himself and everybody else he's the strongest man in the fucking world. Like, I mean, like, talk about a trauma. Like, I mean, like, like literally beaten to a pulp. But yeah. he 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 now sees it positively. But I'm sure, like without a doubt, the trauma is there. But you can see that pattern and that reenacting itself. And it wasn't until I kind of seen it that I understood how significant what his dad did to him was as to how did he became who he was. And fair enough, like he's changed my life. He's changed so many people, and he owns it and he fucking takes it to the most positive degree that he can. Know what I mean, like he's he's an angry man. Like he's an angry, angry revved up amped up proved himself chip on his shoulder guy and it's because it's of what his dad did to him it's crazy 
Yeah. But actually, but that's, 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 I was going to say, Chris, you mentioned about kind of being a limiting belief, and that's kind of one thing that I am always very conscious of. Um, you know, trying to not give my power away by um, by by creating these limiting beliefs. I believe the most powerful thing that we have is the frame, and that whole thing. Even as like David Goggins said, like, you know, that is obviously a trauma response, but the outcome doesn't necessarily have to be bad. Your trauma can actually be your superpower. Oh, you know, so, it can be the place where well, here's your compassion love to help yeah. other people. That's kind of where the mind well, comes from. You know, his right, his his frame. It's so cool. His frame is like. And this is why this is why I would seriously like because I mean I would love Mason to be as tough as David Goggins, but here's the problem: if you want to, if you break your child down like that, and like because like, David Goggins is unique, like there's there's one of him, just literally like maybe like a handful of people like that crazy person, like obviously not not completely rare. Did you see the cartoon of him yeah, on, the yeah. on the Mars? On the Mars. <laughs> love it. it literally. Was <laughs> yeah, yeah, anyway. One of, one of the, the things, his frame is like, the alternative to David Goggins is you get a broken person who's never good enough ever, no matter what. They will never overcome and never achieve anything because they believe that it was beaten into them that they are a piece of shit and will never achieve or amount to anything. And his whole thing was, because that's where I came from, and you're so right with the frame, he said, there's nobody else that has been through what I've been through. So nobody else, like, like when he arrived, he's like, nobody else was like was here where i was like this is my life was the perfect training ground for me because i need to be the toughest man on the planet and if you need to be the toughest man on the planet that's what your childhood needs to be because there's no other way you can get as tough as this um, and like i mean like that's not saying do that to your kids because they become that tough that's just the power of, of changing your frame one thousand percent and he fucking completely flipped it. and like to the point now where people would say to him like, like, I, cause I heard, like, I heard myself saying to myself before, like, oh, I'm just not as strong as you because I didn't have that. Like, he literally turned it into a superpower, whereas it should have broken. It should have broken, and it did break him. Yeah. And that's the thing about that, it. That thing I sent you guys as well, because obviously the reason we're interested in this stuff is because obviously you recognize in yourself kind of AD, ADHD kind of tendencies. Now I'm aware, but I kind of feel like I'm the same again, but it's a spectrum, you know, maybe not a 10 out of 10, but I feel like I'm definitely five, six, There's different trauma responses as well. Like, I think um, you, you have a lot of reflexive counter will. Which is yeah. like again, like all that. Which just, is really it's, like, it's just more of a contrarian. Like I just like, have an exactly. impulse to kind of maybe disagree with people. Um, which again, which, so, which, which is fine. A, where I was going with that story was the thing that um, that video I sent you is, um, and it was that guy that said eighty percent of Olympic champions, oh, yes. world champions, have ADHD because they become obsessed with with this kind of one thing, but also this obsession with maybe proving themselves, proving that they're good enough, proving that they're worthy. And again, so that's it can become a superpower. So anyone out there that's, that's kind of struggling and, you know, don't take it as a, you know, as a, as, a, as a thorn in your side. It, it could be your superpower. Um, also, actually, another one. With the, um, I think it's uh, Sugar Ray Leonard. Anyone know what his backstory is? No. Is it Sugar Ray Leonard? I think it is. Uh, Sugar Leonard, Sugar Robinson? It's one of them. It's one of them. Um, I think Leonard gives the best. Was, was information I might be able to my my trigger. His dad was a slave, and he beat him. Probably Sugar, probably that'd be Sugar Ray Robinson. Then it's kind of he's, he's older. Gen. Sugar Ray Leonard was kind of what I think what seventies eighties. Uh, Sugar Ray Robinson was was an year before that maybe. Okay, yeah, yeah. Sugar Ray Robinson's dad. Wow, his dad was a slave. Wow, he was incredible. Uh, area probably. life, born Georgia, but uh, um. Robinson, Ray I don't have this to hand, but I was listening to a thing about it where like he had scars on his back and everything to prove it, where his dad was whipping him and all this sort of stuff. Do you know, like um, basically like just beating the crap out of him, and he ended up coming like a prize fighter. Uh, Mike Tyson, 
if you look at like I'm not sure um, about some of the fighters, but there's some fighters, there are people who just have that like grit, that determination. It's like you just know they've been through some stuff, and it's like that's the same. That's, that's now you're just talking about this. Like I literally like that's literally all that fueled my boxing career the entire time. Was like I just always felt less than. I just felt like, and I don't know why. I, I but it's not that I felt less than because I didn't consciously. I just felt the need to prove myself. I just felt the need to show everybody that I can I can achieve something. And I don't know, I never knew where I came from. That's the expression, I suppose, the chip on your shoulder. It's like, that's so interesting. That's so interesting. Um, but also, one of the things I was going to say to you there, Steve, uh, before um, for that was the reflexive counter will. Like, the way you should visualize this here is that, like, you have your sense of self-identity, which is this little, like, plant in, like, a little thing that needs to be protected to let it flourish. We got this like fence around it, and this plant represents like your identity, who you are, your sense of self, all that sort of stuff. And if anyone comes in with a different worldview or a different thing, it's like these walls go up to protect this sense of self and the sense of thing. And that's all it really is. And then it's like what you have to understand is that like there's loads of different um worldviews, and loads of different things, and loads of different ideas, and all that jazz. And that you this thing can be protected, and you can still have a look at all these other things because you're afraid of those things like maybe changing you a little bit. It might leave you quite rigid. Yeah. I'm not saying it does leave, you, but like that's what it might yeah. do. And um like the only thing, it's just like a self-protective thing, and like the best thing to do, I think Jordan Peterson says, stand up straight, shoulders back, you know, with the sense of vulnerability to the world, knowing that you can handle it rather than reflexively countering everything. Yeah, and I think how I experience it as well. It's not necessarily, it's not necessarily always about kind of challenging beliefs. It's like I have like a, I have like a need like to say something that if it needs to be said, otherwise it kind of really burns inside me. Like if I, if I see an injustice happening, I feel like I need to because again, maybe maybe because I'm trying to propagate my worldview. Say no, that's not right. That's not right. Like I can't. This 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 because, year shouldn't happen. Because I feel like I have to. what will happen if you don't? What will happen if you don't? The world will tilt a little bit more towards evil per se and then what will happen i'm not sure the world will be worse off yeah it will encroach on you yeah, yeah and yeah, who yeah. you are and what you what you stand for yeah which is why you know, that's it very very interesting i'm working on it i'm working on it all right guys we've got to wrap again, it up again sorry sorry just one one thing to interrupt because the way you're saying there that you're working on it and brian you got you said it as well and not not the same thing, but like like oh here's my trauma coming up as if it's a, like this. But like the reason that you have it, and the the biggest thing that gives me a little bit more like compassion towards myself is that like you know like you developed this for a reason, and the reason that you did it is like it was a defense mechanism or something to solve a problem, and it worked, and it did its job. And it, here's the thing in terms of the story that you need to tell yourself and how to come out of it, um, which is that like it did like it did work, it's done its job, but we don't really need it anymore. You know, so we can move past it. Thank God I went through that and it gave me these abilities and it gave me these skills. It also gave me these downsides and here's the things that I'm going to work on now and I can leave that in the past. And that's the story that you should sort of have with yourself. So it's not necessarily like a bad thing that happened and it's not like, you know, like, oh, here's this fucking, that's it coming up again. But, it's no, like, but I remember, I remember the day, I remember the day, was, I remember the day my temper was born. I remember it. I remember, I remember standing up for myself aggressively for the first time and that, that just stuck. I couldn't get rid of it. Just could not get rid of it because Why? it worked so well. Because it yeah. worked so well. That's that's a great point. Now you're saying like I literally remember standing up for myself and saying no, never again, not accepting this, and then that so was like, it. So like, here's one of the things as well. Like if you are trying to deal with it and trying to get over this sort of stuff with yourself, like like imagine someone tried to come, come over to you and tell you like that's not the way to fucking handle it. What are you doing handling like that? You're like, but it fucking worked. Yeah. It it worked like really well. What do you mean I can't do that? Like. 
it, I was scared and helpless and defenseless, and then I the did this, is, right? solved all my problems, and I got more respect, and everyone's like way better. But the problem is, is like you come across a problem that you never had, and then you, you develop a hammer and you smash, and then you're like, and then like someone goes, "All right, cool, right, it's time to There's make breakfast," problem. and you're like just going over there with your hammer. You're like, <laughs> it's like no, it's like you need other tools as well, dummy. And it's like okay, the context, context is key, obviously. This is all I have at the minute. It's like we'll go go get some other tools because we can't we we can't be doing with that. I know that worked for your last situation, but it's not going to work here. And fair enough, mm -hmm. I know you did a great job. We, we got your rating five stars. No problem taking you over, but we're gonna need some other tools. Yeah, and I feel, I feel like even for me, like to to draw draw attention to it is not necessarily. It's just more so me expressing my self awareness and okay, well, oh, yeah. just when I say it, it's like and I'm I'm having that space. I'm like, oh, it's just me. So thinking out loud, saying, oh, you don't you done that impulsively, you done that reactively. That you know that wasn't necessarily well thought out. Um, but yeah, no, it's very interesting. Again, this is the thing about like the journey's never over. Like I'm never gonna, never gonna be Jesus, never gonna be perfect. Um, Speak you know, yourself. it is what it is. We're just gotta, just gotta keep, keep, keep walking forward. Because for me, this whole thing, like growth is happiness. You know, as long as long as I'm kind of on the on the path to self actualization, just being the best that I can be, um, that's what seems to to keep me happy and keep me contented for the most part. Although I'm never, you're never gonna be fully happy and fully contented, um, because life, life is a duality of, of feelings and emotions um they had a very interesting conversation that's good stuff yeah, fair no, well done well done guys thanks, so, guys, for, thanks, for, thanks for listening to our, our, our personal therapy session um if you liked it enjoyed it do do subscribe like do all the things that will help us kind of reach more people and make this podcast um, um bigger and better hopefully tell a friend tell a friend share a friend you find somebody might, might find it useful that's literally the only reason we're doing it because we hope that one person out there, I think we might, I think we've got about 100, 150 listeners actually, which is still pretty decent. Put 150 people in a room, like that's that's pretty yeah, cool. That's really good. Yeah, I can't believe we've awesome. 150 people listening. Yeah. So, so I appreciate you guys taking the time to listen to us. Any questions, any comments, any topics you'd like us to cover, and if you've got any information, any opposing viewpoints, anything you think might might add a little more context to the conversation, feel free to send it our way. If not, hope you guys have a great week. I'm here in Portugal. We're going to have an amazing retreat. Uh, follow our social media if you want to kind of keep up to date with that. And if not, I will see you all next yeah, week. Feel free, uh, feel free to reach out on social media. Yeah, cool. Appreciate the time, guys. Have a nice week. Talk soon. Peace. Bye. -bye.